Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm welcoming back Laura Overton to discuss the newly published CIPD Learning at Work 2023 report. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us, and thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Laura, welcome back to the Learning and Development Podcast. I am so excited to be here, David. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So, Laura, uh, you're here to discuss the CIPD's Learning at Work 2023 report that has very recently been published. So could we start off um, by you giving us an explanation of what the report seeks to uncover? Well, it's one of a series of longitudinal reports that CIPD have been doing, just exploring you know, how we're doing learning and development here in the UK. Mm. Um, so it seeks to uncover you know, sort of what's changing, what's, um, what's new, um, and also what's important for us as a profession. And it was great because the data came in from NewGov, which mm. meant that we actually had perspectives, David, that we wouldn't normally get. So HR people doing learning and learning teams and learning practitioners and learning leaders, and mm. sometimes even managers mm. themselves who were really keen on the learning of their team, really actively getting involved in this process. So super interesting data that came through at the beginning of this year. Um, you know, unfortunately, you can only report on a little bit of it in the actual main report, but I'm, I'm really excited. I'm hoping it'll be useful for people. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and I suppose before we get, we dive into the questions there, you mentioned that it's uh, um, a UK report um, and only half my listeners are, uh, are based in the, in the UK. I suppose for uh, some broader context, uh, I'd love to know your thoughts, Laura, because in my experience, um, the UK doesn't lag behind anywhere else in the world as far as learning and development is concerned. I think that there are pockets of excellence that are actually world leading um, and there are areas in which we need to grow. And I think that that's probably something that's going to come out. But I'd love to know your perspective from you know, you, your years of experience in the uh, in the profession where you think the UK stands in terms of of, of, uh, of global learning and development? Well, I think it's really interesting because you probably know that I'm actually celebrating 20 years researching in global <laughs> learning and development practice. This happens to be my latest report, but mm. um, all of the studies that I was doing before, which are now being continued through Mindtools for Business, um, looked much broader at uh, the whole global situation. So when I'm looking at this particular set of data, of course, I'm bringing all of that background and all of that evidence Mm. of a global perspective into this. And, you know, you're right. I think that um, the UK aren't lagging behind anyone uh, in in our field. You know, I don't think any of the things in here where where we're lagging. Mm. Um, And I think actually, uh, you know, we are creative. We're a creative Mm. bunch of people and how we look at things, how we debate things. Um, so it's probably much less digital design um, as such, a much more broader perspective, which, to be honest, David, I think is healthy. Mm. I think we've got a kind of quite a broad range perspective here in the UK. It might mean that we kind of neutralise some of the 
more experimental aspects of our work mm. but you know I think that broad range gives us a solid foundation um, which we should be proud of and gives us an opportunity to, for us to grow and mm. develop. Okay brilliant um, well let's let's dive into it perhaps uh, at the uh, 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 top level first. Uh, Laura what are the key findings for you that sums up where we are in 2023? Well I think basically it's a lot more optimistic than many of us uh, would 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 have because often we find that we're talking, oh, this isn't working and that's not working and the budgets are going to go down. Mm. Yes, budgets have gone down for some people, but overall, those who are reporting an increase in budget versus those reporting a decrease, there were many more reporting an increase. There were many more reporting an increase in headcount and resources. Mm. Um, Equally, there are many more in reporting an increase in workplace um, mm. expectations and workload. So, you know, there's a lot going on in the industry at the moment. I think we're under a lot of pressure, a lot mm. of high expectations. And that certainly is one of the, the kind of key findings. I think we're more confident with digital mm-hmm. than we've ever been before, which I, um, is good to see because as yeah. our confidence and courage increases, then our ability to do fresh and new things increase. And I think I really saw that coming through. It's very positive and optimistic. The skills agenda is something that is pulling all of us together mm-hmm. right now. So I think that's a great opportunity for us. How we're tackling it isn't necessarily uh, as clear coming mm. through from this, but at least, you know, our purpose, you know, I think one of the key things about the CIPD is their profession map. And it's all around being purposeful mm. and having that kind of purpose, being able to move forward together with the business, I think, is there as well. So some very interesting kind of nuggets that are coming through, which I'm sure you will dig in <laughs> deeper as this conversation goes through. Oh, absolutely, Laura. Um, the, the, I mean, I've read the report. Um, uh, just before I read the report, I saw some uh, uh, some challenging conversation on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I think we'll uh, we'll, we'll cover uh, many angles uh, as we go through here, uh, some uh, of the positive trends, uh, but uh, but also perhaps uh, some of the alarming ones. We'll st- and we'll start there because one of the headlines for me early on in the report is, and, and I will quote, compared with two years ago, L&D strategy is less aligned with organisational and people priorities, and leaders are less likely to recognise the impact that L&D has on those priorities, end quote. <laughs> now, for me, this is this is quite a strange situation. We've uh, we've we've craved organisational alignment for as long as I've been in the profession, and it seems that we 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 gained, and now we've 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 lost a little. So, Laura, what's going on? You know what? It's exciting to see this data coming mm. through, but you know, you mentioned a moment ago about data being a conversation. You know, there's a conversation around mm. this, and this is what's really important. All of us, when we come to any report, it's just a quick snapshot in a moment of time. Mm. And when we're comparing it to other reports, other data, they're quick snapshots in that moment of time. And the moment of time that we were comparing to is smack bang in the middle of COVID, (laughs) where everybody, everybody was working on the same common cause. Mm. We had a unique moment during the pandemic. It was so hard for so many of us. But it was a unique moment for Mm. us all to be working on the same thing. Business leaders, managers, individuals. How do we cope? How do we adapt? How do we 
look at things in a different way in order to meet our customers' expectations. Everyone was pointing in the direction, same direction. Everyone had their sleeves rolled up and everyone was looking at each other saying, what can you do? What can you do? What can... It was a moment that we should be looking back and say, okay, what can we learn from that? Yeah. Because now everything's opened up. There's been so many more diverse requirements and needs. And it's almost like everybody, not just L&D, everybody has kind of forgotten what it's like to actually all pull together. So um, I don't see this as being incredibly negative. I think it's a reflection of the situation we're in. What we should be doing is reflecting back. Mm. What did it feel like when we worked together? All of us. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't see it as being a terrible thing. I just say as a little warning sign, a little notice. Say, let's not forget. Mm. Let's not forget, and then let's work out what might have crept in that maybe shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Um, from all of our perspectives, not just from us as L and D, but also from the business itself and what they expect of us as well. Yeah, some good points in there, uh, Laura. I know that uh, the, from the conversations I was having for the podcast in the early stages and first six months of uh, of, of the pandemic, I suppose the repercussions of that and remote working, uh, learning and development were working on the biggest priorities for the organisation. It is how, how, how do we support employees and managers on this pivot from working in a single location or, or in a in a location together to one where we're working remotely, uh, making sure that people remain productive, managers are a- equipped to manage and that we were dealing with the well-being issues of, uh, of the phrase that I've used previously. And uh, in, at that time, people were living at work. Um, so so people were at L&D were working on the biggest priorities. Uh, I hoped then that it would be the case that, uh, that that we would remain to do so, especially in light of a conversation I had about seven or eight years ago when an L&D manager asked me, um, how do you find out what the biggest priorities for your organization for our organization are? And you're really thinking, wow, OK, we uh, we this this is the, the, the biggest, the clearest indicator I've ever heard of of learning and development quite lost. Um, so, so I think that you're right, and you you mentioned uh, before about uh, about skills that that there is there is a skills gap, not just in organisations but across industries. Uh, and I am incredibly enlightened. I've, I've recorded podcast episodes uh, very recently about uh, about organisations that are looking to close the skills gap in their region, not just in their business, but in where where their head office is. And I think, and I'm always inspired by that, that uh, that they're clearly uh, having, uh, making an attempt to to, um, increase the talent pool beyond their organization. And I think that that, that whilst we needed to come together for COVID, we are also gonna have to come together to close this skills gap, that as as, as the years progress and, the workforce continues to uh, to age. That that the um, that you know, there was there's a statistic I always use that in 2019 the Industrial Strategy Council said that uh, by um, 2020, um, 80% of the workforce of 2030 will already be in the workforce. That we will not be able to hire ourselves out of this problem. So therefore, every organisation needs at least a team who are dedicated to closing this skills gap. So there, there is this uh, impending burning platform in which we are going to have to align to the biggest uh, priorities of the organisation, which are likely to be, how do we get 
the people with the right skills in the jobs we require them to do if the talent pool isn't as rich externally as it has been previously and we've relied so much on that that talent i mean uh, what what are your thoughts on on perhaps the um the comparison between the covid situation and the impending skills shortage I think obviously they're clearly very different, but equally there are some commonalities and the commonality is, is this commonality of purpose and the fact that actually these are these are both problems which were not just an L&D problem, yeah. not just an HR problem, not just a business problem, not just a senior leader problem. They were all of our problems and it gives us an opportunity to say, okay, well, how do we break down the silos between individual ways of doing business to say, how can we work differently together, bring our different levels of expertise together to address the challenge at hand? Um, and, uh, you know, it was very encouraging in the CRPD report to actually see 63% of us are collaborating and working across function. Mm. As soon as I see a piece of data like that, Dave, I'm thinking, well, how? What are we doing? <laughs> what, you know, which is yeah. why I then come to podcasts, you know, around, you know, to, to look at the stories that may be behind this. Um, but for those who actually feel isolated and feeling as if this is our own, we've got to solve this. Mm. I think there's a big message throughout all of this report and throughout all the conversations in industry right now is that this is something we need to work on together mm. across discipline and to work out the best of each discipline that can be applied to the new problem at hand. Um, and I think that's that's a very exciting place for us to be and that's what we can learn and bring forward say, oh, how did that work mm. two years ago and what lessons can we bring forward and adapt into the current situation with skills mm. and, and there are plenty of lessons been learned I mean the report does highlight as well that some of the consequences of the pandemic have continued into now and again I'll quote the uh, the report um, and the examples given that face-to-face -face learning continues to decline and digital learning continues to rise uh, secondly, organizations are using more conferences, workshops, programs, events and mentoring, but these are no longer at pre-pandemic levels. Uh, and finally, uh, technologies that enable collaboration and have seen the biggest rise year on year with usage of webinars, podcasts and social learning all higher than pre-pandemic le levels. This is clearly positive that it's stuck, don't you think, Laura? Absolutely, because, you know, those of us have been working in technology enabled learning for a while. It's coming up to 35 years <laughs> it's a long time you know mm. um you know I think I think that is the really really exciting thing is mm. it's becoming more acceptable to be able to use technology in this way but you know one of the things that kick-started my research process 20 years ago was the fact that you know that actually the Twin Towers had come down and all travel had stopped mm. and so all of us are in technology enabled learning like oh yes we have to do everything you know online now mm. and then within a couple of years after travel opened up everyone was saying of course we told you it wouldn't work now that is a pattern that we are seeing now it's because we've tried to do what we used to do in the classroom using technology mm. i think that's one of the danger zones that we see in this we see very little experimentation and very much the con you know technology and tools which are around either replicating what we did face-to-face -face, sage on the stage here mm. in the zoom screen or uh, getting more and more content out you know whether it's bite-sized 
uh, mobile size, you know, sort of game size, you know, whatever size content it is, pushing that out um, and without actually fully looking at something which is really close to my heart and to the heart of the CIPD is looking at the evidence of how people learn and adapt and change. Mm. And how do we use those tools? And we're not, we didn't see that much shift in here. Uh, we saw more people naturally going back to some of the face-to-face mm. things. Naturally, that's 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 not a step back. That is that is an evening out mm. of 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 balancing uh, choices that we have, so that we can make good choices. But why are we choosing to use those tools and techniques and media? Is the important thing, and I'm not seeing in this study much of a shift mm. into actually thinking about how all of the breadths of face-to-face through to digital can actually really be helping us um, help people reflect and adapt and apply and relearn and reflect and adapt mm. and apply and that continual workplace workflow learning that you guys speak so well and so confidently about mm. in this space. We're not seeing the tools being used in that way just yet. Well, that leads me nicely to uh, to my next question, Laura, because this was this was the uh, the uh, the part that I uh, witnessed on LinkedIn in a in a uh, in a heated debate uh, before I read the report. And this is about uh, the lack of learner time, lack of engagement, um, and uh, you know, added to that, lack of budget uh, that are overwhelmingly the biggest challenges for L and D. Now, now, budget aside, um, the other two have been a problem for the entire time that I've been in L and D. Now, budget only some of that time uh, I've worked with uh, with huge budgets before, and it's been a hell of a lot of fun. But uh, but that but there's no getting away from that. Uh, that the evergreen uh, or perennial problems for for learning and development is lack of learner time and lack of engagement for for perhaps for the many of the reasons that you've just outlined there, an observation that uh, that we've had for the many years we've been doing this podcast now is that if learning and development use technology to scale the solutions that they are used to delivering, then we miss the big point, which is not using the technology to help people with what they need help with in the organisation. Now, it sounds as if the two will clearly be the same, but for me, it's a fork in the road. You help yourself or you help the the uh, the the learner or the employee first, but the fork doesn't bend round at the end necessarily. What was that lovely phrase that uh, that um, uh, Guy Wallace introduced to me? I think it was from Geary Rumley said that uh, that in a forward to a book in 1969, uh, you can't get there from here, uh, which is which uh, which is when you start with the solution, uh, whether that be face to face or uh, uh, a digital solution, then you're unlikely to predictably and reliably impact performance you're you are aiming for the consumption and retention of stuff perhaps not necessarily linked to uh, performance now building on the report and the debate in linkedin do we need to admit that the way we've been doing things and the impacts the lack of learner time and lack of engagement uh will always be a challenge and that we must find ways to overcome this ourselves in learning and development rather than a blame other parties and number two try to change them without changing us well moving into one of your agreeably disagreeable (laughs) (laughs) sessions here Dave you know I think we need to look at this 
there, of course, we are human beings who work in learning and development. I just want to just flag that right now. So, you know, we are therefore we react as human beings to our environment around us. You, you know, one of the lovely things that came through in this report is the fact that 65% of us in work in this field um, do so because it's a meaningful career. We yeah. care. We can't take that away. Um, and so when we do what we do because we care, we care about skills, we care about development, we care about bringing the most out of other people, of course we're going to be frustrated. Um, so there is a little bit of blame culture that's been going on. So, you know, it's all everybody else's fault. And I've written about that in the past because I've been exploring that quite a lot in the past. As you say, it's always been there. But, you know, when I thought about this question for this interview today, I just thought maybe there's something positive that's going on. And I actually went back and looked at the CIPD studies over the last number of years. And what was really interesting is when we unpack some of the other barriers that are reported, we see that lack of line management support and time, you know, engagement, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That actually has improved. So 29% of us thought that was a problem over it back in 2020, uh, before COVID, but only 19% now. So some things are dropping. Uh, poor and limited technology is much less of a problem now. Um, engagement and appetite for learning, it's, it's, that's actually consistent. So there is, there is some, we need to be aware that actually we're in this together. Now, mm-hmm. to your point, I think that there are some things from that question on barriers that we could take more responsibility for. So, for example, L&D capability is a bigger barrier now than it was in 2020. Um, No way of knowing which of our results are effective is a bigger barrier now than it was two years ago. The quality of our content is a bigger barrier now. Uh, Struggling to show impact, it's a bigger barrier now. Now, all of those things if we could tweak those the things that we are in control of it will enable us to have a different level of conversation Mm. back with the back with the business so i do think we do need to take on a level of responsibility but i also think that effective learning is a business environment you know needs to take paper in the right business environment it's not all the fault of learning and development Mm. um we also have to shift the expectations that others have of us and shift the conversation and we can really only start with ourselves. And I think some of that data really helps us focus in perhaps on what we can do for ourselves. But there are some encouraging, you know, the fact that line managers are more connected, not as connected as we want, but more connected than they were three years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. What can we do with that? Dave? What would you do with that? What would you do with that, that piece of information? If you realise that the line managers actually were more open now, not as open as we want, but more now, how would you leverage that? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, that's an interesting point because um, in my 15 years of, uh, of working in-house, uh, I found that working with line managers was quite a contentious point. Uh, I found it almost impossible to rely on line managers for um, a large enough percentage of learning solutions to actually make an impact. And so um I actually designed solutions that didn't rely on them. Um, now, don't get me wrong. If I, if I, when I look back, I can, um, uh, I can think of some incredible 
line managers who did a great deal of good in the development of their teams. But I can think of many more who didn't, who relied on learning and development and HR to do a lot of that work. Um, but that said, in each of those teams, there was top talent that was that that emerged. Um, I think it's an incredibly positive thing that line managers are more engaged, but I do I do think that it's become an easy get out for learning and development over the years that I've talked about the planets aligned before that learning and development believe themselves to be um, uh, more impotent because they haven't got the right learning culture or the CEO isn't a, a major sponsor, that there is a lack of sponsorship in, in the C-suite, that line managers aren't truly involved and that uh, individuals don't take the learning back to the workplace. I always look at when I when I hear those, I think you're 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 looking for silver bullets. You're look you're looking for you're those are easy get outs when I think that there are also more productive ways of doing learning and development that works. Um, I, I always consider it like um, the hardest way to do learning and development is to tell somebody a different way to do the job without understanding the job. The easiest way to do learning and development is to understand the friction that people are experiencing in pursuit of the job they know they're there to do and help them by giving them a map of the territory. So too much learning and development are broad assumptions um, and um, the use of generic or off-the-shelf tools and toolkits that don't respect enough the culture in which people are expected to perform. Uh, for example, if, uh, uh, if I was delivering a first-line manager uh, program at say uh, at say Disney, and I incorporated um, uh, the difference between manager and uh, and leader, um, the dynamics of a team, the grow model, all the stuff that you'd expect. Now I'm going back a few years. There's going to be some new stuff in there, perhaps about purpose driven leadership. I could spend two days on that stuff, but if I don't include uh, what it means to work and manage within a matrix organization, they uh, how to get support for your ideas by understanding how ideas uh, uh, and decisions are made within your organization. Uh, for example, at Disney, it was very much consensus driven and it was highly political. Um, there was some uh, uh, there was some devilishly political behavior uh, and also some some very naive people. And to be able to, to work with integrity through the middle was absolutely critical for you getting support for your ideas. To be able to get the right resources, uh, but also to understand uh, enough about how other parts of the business made their money, was absolutely critical. So if I didn't, by 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 just delivering what we believe is right and will provide some useful building blocks, those do rely on. I mean, they're very fragile in their very essence, but. If we did work more on providing people with the guidance and support that they need in order to be successful within their actual roles, within our actual organization, I don't believe our solutions would be nearly as fragile as they are to require such support. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you know what? Again, in the research, mm. um, the 
that I was looking at with the CIPD, but also if I reflect back 20 years ago when I first started asking learners themselves, you know, whose opinion matters, whose mm. influence is most important. It was such an aha moment 20 years ago when 2000 learners said, actually, it's my line manager. Mm. It's not senior directors. It's not L&D. It's my line manager. And all of the learning landscape work that I've done and the others have done, it's the line manager. Mm. We can't get away from that. This is a complex situation learning. You know, line managers either create the environment where people can practice or they don't. Mm. Full stop. They create the environment where people have permission to reflect and learn on those fragile elements or not so fragile elements. We can make it slightly more concrete. But ultimately, when people actually change their behavior, it's in the environment mm. of the workplace that they're, they're working in. They're either encouraged to do that or they're not. And we can't make managers do that. Mm. But what we can do is that we can model it. Uh, and that's one of the things that we've actually looked at in in the report. But it's all I've looked at it before. I did an interview in 2001 mm. with a guy from the Middle East called Ahmed, and he was an engineer in his a large organization. He was an ambitious engineer. He wanted to run a multinational element of the business. You know, he had big goals. He did right. He went on little projects face to face. He did learning by. Um, you know kind of experimenting but then he wanted he was interested in science so he decided he would log um, on and join the open universities um, program for for managers postgrad there he was introduced to models mm. but he was introduced to the concept of going back trying them out coming back to the cohort reflecting mm. adapting he was introduced through that whole process of learning on how to take that fragile content, however science-based it is, and work it out in reality on an ongoing basis. As a result of that, he not only doubled his money, uh, you know, in terms of his, his financial, but he also, his experience of knowing how to learn has a knock-on effect with his team. He, he is that regional manager globally now. Mm. But his team is now works remotely because he understood how you could work and remote and remotely and reflect remotely because of that experience. He did that prior to COVID. He was ready mm. for COVID, you know, and he, he gives his team content and ideas. He expects them to be able to try things because that was how it was modeled. Mm. It was modeled in his own learning experience, how to learn, use, reflect, adapt, learn, use. It was such a habit, mm. he couldn't help but bring that into his team. Yeah. Now, which part of that equation can we influence? We can influence his experience. Yeah. That And that's, that, that is my point. I've seen it time and time mm. again. You know, we should not be saying it's their fault. Let's ignore them. Let's see what we can do. Onboarding, line managers, mm. training. Yeah. How do we model ourselves? How do we model that that is the way that we're going to be ready for the future mm. and to do the jobs that we need to do today. Yeah. Which seems to be nicely, uh, uh, Laura, that uh, that so much of uh, preparing our organisations and our individuals for the work today is by focusing on 
the work itself, what people are expected to do. Uh, and the report summarises, uh, and to, to quote, there has been an increase in the number of L&D professionals who are proactive in understanding a performance issue before recommending a solution. This is 57% in 2023 uh, versus 32% in 2021. Right now, uh, I think that, uh, that if uh, Guy Wallace is listening to that, he'll be incredibly buoyed by, uh, by the improvement, and, uh, and so he should. Um, and that, of course, leaves uh, a significant, and again, remaining the uh, uh, with by the quote rather than my comment on here, the quote continues, but that leaves a significant number potentially working on initiatives, activities, sorry, that do not contribute to improving performance. Now, of course, this is a, a positive trend, if not alarm, alarming, which the, uh, the, um, the, the comment continues in, uh, in the report, because we still do too much L&D um, without intent to make a planned impact on how the work is done. So how do you assess where we are with this? I can only ask questions. I can't assess <laughs> where we are with this. How I, it, it, Down to other people to use this data to assess where they are. Yeah. With this, you know, um, but we've asked questions around, you know, learning transfer. We've asked questions around the extent to which you're intentional about supporting learning after that process. You know, understanding the problem is the first part of the journey. Mm. You know, when I was doing my previous research, I, you know, there are a number of different characteristics. And I always said, this is a six legged race. You can get really good at doing performance consulting, but if it's not follow through with um, understanding the learner, understanding the environment that you're working in that you've just been talking about earlier, that like context, mm -hmm. cultural context, without understanding, you know, the best way of addressing that problem. Uh, and knowing the problem doesn't mean so you're going to address it in the most effective mm -hmm. way. It doesn't understand, it doesn't, um, you know, sort of take away from the fact that you still need to communicate, you still need to engage people with that, you still need to reflect, did it work? This is a, a six-legged race. Mm. <laughs> they all work together. And I think the danger is in our industry, and I hear it time and time again, is that we all get, forgive me here, a bee in our bonnet about a particular thing. Mm. And actually, it's great performance consulting has is starting to improve. We are, you know, it really is positive, but it needs to follow through. This is a holistic picture that we need to be looking at. And I think that's that's the critical thing for me. When I look at this data, I want to zoom out the whole mm. time. What's the bigger picture? How do the pieces fit together? Um, and how do we each individually make these pieces fit together in such a way that we can improve the impact that we have in organisations? And I think that, for me, is the exciting thing about getting involved in these broad range longitudinal studies. Mm. is that actually it isn't the individual data point that's important here it's the bigger picture and progress that we make towards you know shifting our own practice and therefore shifting behaviors in our organizations yeah and you were talking there about uh, about six legs you're absolutely right it's not about becoming um a, a specialist an expert or perhaps a one-trick pony in one area it's about having a broad skill set which leads me nicely onto the next part because um uh, what the report does do very well is highlight um, some of the um, the successful uh, behaviours and traits that are then um, appreciated by our stakeholders. And then, you know, if we if we're appreciated by our, our stakeholders, that increases our internal currency and our ability to deliver um, 
uh, meaningful change. So, um, so there was a, um, a section in there that said that, uh, that highlighted that learning practitioners who are valued by leaders are more likely to agree that, and I've got uh, several points on here, and I'd love you to comment afterwards, Laura, is um, they design or make recommendations using evidence-informed principles to address performance issues. They are proactive in identifying the performance issue before recommending a solution. They apply adult learning and motivation theory in practice. They're skilled at effective learner engagement, transfer and impact. They have a process in place for using feedback for continuous improvement of L&D interventions. They have a process for assessing learning impact and their team takes action based on analytics and uses this to create insight and measure value. So, so you know, many, many legs there, uh, but I think that does highlight the the traits that lead to increased value for leaders. So, in your opinion, uh, Laura, how do we encourage more in L and D to aim to be here? You know, it's not just increased value that oh, we like you come out mm. for a drink, but the question there, I'm, I'm going to be really specific on this is mm. that, that recognize that leaders recognize the value that we have on organization and people priorities mm-hmm. it's not just the fact that they think we're nice people but it's the fact that we're making a difference yeah um and you know all of those things just highlight what we've just been talking about the fact that actually you know we don't claim in this report that there's a correlation but it's a consistent pattern that's for sure it's a consistent pattern with my 20 years of data it's a consistent pattern with two years ago in the data you know does it matter which links to which is it the fact that the leaders value me and therefore I'm going to be more inclined to do those things or is it because I'm more inclined to do those things and therefore the leaders value Mm. me you know I think it's really important for us not to say who's responsible for this but Mm. to recognize that this is a complex uh, environment um, and so, I, you know, I think we can we can aim to get there by taking on and recognizing what we can do for ourselves. We've already mentioned this, but I think that's the most critical thing for me is like, you know, what are the small steps? What are the experiments mm. that we can take? You know, let's let's focus on those. Um, and I've seen that certainly in my work post, um, you know, throughout COVID with the Emerging Stronger project. It's those little tiny experiments where we give ourselves permission to be yeah. curious we create our own microculture of learning as yeah. a learning professional that allows us to start to explore some of these other areas and see whether they and build our courage build our confidence build our boldness yeah. um, because you know that that data sits out there so we can use this report to give us courage to yeah. do something and try something different and just to see whether those field experiments for ourselves work. Yeah. And, and what what if one does? Yeah. How 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 happy would we be? Mm. How how much more would we be willing to actually try it again or experiment and try a little bit more? You know. So I think that's that's the critical thing about this report. It gives us an environment to say, look, these are spaces. Well, let's try something. So what if your leader also starts to recognise the value you have? What would then happen if they did? How much more courage would that give you to do more of these things? So it, it's a complex environment that we're working in. It's not one stat is good versus another. I loved it when Nick was on your podcast saying about evidence-informed learning. It made me laugh out loud when he was talking about lemons. 
You have mm. to, you'll have to put a, 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 a note in the show notes <laughs> on that one for people. But absolutely, you know, when we focus on one statistic mm. and go gun for leather on it, then we will be laughed laughed yeah. out of the, you know, so that's not what evidence-informed learning, evidence-informed learning is about how we take the whole big picture and apply it into our own situation. Mm. And, I don't know whether that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. No, look, it, it resonates with my experience as well, um, Laura. And in that conversation that uh, that uh, that that I had with Nick uh, that last time, we talked about how uh, satisfaction and popularity distort what we do in learning and development. When the happy sheets are used as our be all and end all, because it it, it encourages the wrong behaviour. Um, yeah. The you will not be valued by your leaders. Uh, and you will not increase your currency by simply being popular. It goes back to what you said before. If you're experimenting, you're iterating to make something work, that will build your currency, um, which is the important part here. By by uh, increasing your value, you increase your currency, you increase the buy-in that you get for, for future initiatives, and then you're seen as a credible partner. When I was a trusted partner to the finance director uh, at Disney, uh, to confide on the development of of what he considered his his top team, I did that because it did because I had currency because I did enough stuff that worked. But if I was just doing the popular stuff, then I'd be working with more junior members of the team, yeah. making them happy, and which is not a place that 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 we do meaningful learning and development. It's you know it's the difference between it being a perk and a popularity contest, and when you're adding value and you're making meaningful planned difference. Uh, and again, you you know, there there is a case to be said that you can't get there from here. You can't get to one place to the other. Uh, it is about making that planned difference. And again, you use the data as we discussed in our previous uh, podcast to understand the issues that uh, that that need truly need addressing, uh, for which you will identify the cohorts responsible for the work and use the evidence of those that you're working with and the evidence of uh, that that you gain in addition in order to to experiment and make and make the difference. But that that there is what works. And I think that uh, that that you know it's uh, it's it's great to hear you uh, talking in those terms. But there is, you know, that leads us on to uh, to uh, the L&D skill set, which is a section in the report. And it's a hot topic uh, for uh, for all sorts of reasons uh, that we've discussed already and perhaps that we haven't because, uh, you know, a generative AI and uh, and its impact on not just learning and development, but uh, but but life and business uh, are, are, are distorting uh, the what learning and development perhaps uh, should and could be doing uh, and beyond. But um, but in your opinion, what's the current state of L&D's readiness to meet the challenges we face in our organisations and in our wider profession? Well, I think this issue of intent is really important because um, in a whole series of questions that we asked in this particular study, um, we talked about, you know, is it, here is a statement. Is this something you agree with? strongly agree with, disagree, strongly disagree. And I was particularly interested in the chapter that you were talking about, about the extent to which we strongly agreed, because we were broadly in agreement with a lot of things in terms of our state of readiness. But actually, when it comes down to us being strongly in agreement, um, only 24% of us actually felt that we had the, my teams had the courage to speak up in our organizations, 24% strongly agree. Only 20% of us in learning and development demonstrate curiosity and making most of opportunities to learn. Only 26% um, 
expect ourselves to reflect on the lessons that we have learned. Strongly agree that we, you know, so these these are things that I think are actually give me a little cause for concern mm-hmm. uh, in uh, with us as a profession, but also a great deal of encouragement mm-hmm. because overall we agree very broadly. Yes, we do all of those things, but for me, it's like okay. We all want to learn and grow and adapt. And I think we're going to need to be able to do that. And there's plenty in the report that shows us how we might do that, how others are experimenting in the different fields they're experimenting in. But I think us making it intentional, picking up on your word on intent, Mm -hmm. I think is going to be the real secret to our future readiness. It's not just what do we debate, what do we listen to on our walks, but what do we do? Mm. that I think is going to be really, really important. And the other thing, um, just very briefly, I'm conscious of our time together, is that um, it really flagged to me the role of learning and development leaders, particularly in those who are working in teams. Learning and development leaders were more confident, more positive, more aware that line managers um, and business leaders were acknowledging their success than the practitioners that were working in their teams. And that, to me, actually shows a level of responsibility that perhaps we as learning leaders in our own teams need to take to kind of pass down and create environments where it's safe for our teams to be curious, to experiment, Mm -hmm. to bring new ideas, to have a voice. Um, And I think that that is something that will really help um, our readiness moving forward. And it was something that captured my attention when I was looking, looking at the data um, mm. as we went through this um, analysis for this report. Yeah, good points, Laura. And as you mentioned, uh, we're coming to the end of our conversation. Uh, so, uh, so just a small question to uh, to round off then, Laura. What would you recommend we in L&D take from this report? There are nine recommendations that I came up with at the time. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know this, this is what research is about. Research for me, David, we were talking about this, is a conversation. Mm. A piece of data comes out. What what does it bring out in you? You talked about the controversial knee-jerk reactions that it brought out in a lot of people. We see one 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 data point, and either we strongly agree or we strongly disagree. Mm. Um, so I guess the way I would frame that question is, you know, what do you need to take out of it? You know, what are the strongest recommendation, recommendations that you need when you read a report like this? Be aware of what you are looking for the report to confirm. Be aware of where it's challenging your thinking, where you're thinking, oh, that won't work for me. Mm. <laughs> you know, that doesn't work in my organisation. So I think what we recommend we recommend to take from this report is to look at it through different lenses. So if you are fearful or frustrated right now, look at the report to see if there's anything in there that can give you courage. Uh, if you're experienced and think you know it all and you're on the on the speaking platform look at the report and say well is there anything in here I can do differently pretty much every question we've asked has been evidence informed it's made a difference somewhere else for somebody you know if you are already um kind of a committed to your success and your programs Look at it from the point of view of, okay, what what can it teach us about working collectively and collaboratively with others in other environments, in other cultures? So use different lenses to get something from it and then experiment, then try something and then get involved in the study next year. 
Yes, <laughs> well said. And what we'll do is we'll put a, a link to the report so that uh, that, that everybody can uh, find that easily uh, as well. And if they want to uh, to, um, to connect with you, Laura, or uh, or for you follow your work, how best can they do so? Well, I would definitely recommend going to the CIPD site. I'll send you a note for the show notes um, of being able to download this. This mm-hmm. is just for members, and it isn't just for the UK. It's absolutely got relevance around mm. the globe. So I'll send you the link for that. If you want to connect with me, because it is a conversation, you know, what mm. grabs your attention? LinkedIn is probably the place the place to go. Um, but also, um, I'm doing more and more work with my Learning Changemaker site. So you'll be able mm. to find me at learningchangemakers.com. Wonderful. And we'll put uh, links, uh, all those links in the show notes too. Uh, but all's left for me to say is that uh, thank you very much for, for coming back, Laura, and being a guest again on the Learning and Development podcast. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the work you do. This report is a fascinating read and outlines important progress as well as the principles and actions of those who are achieving planned, meaningful impact. There's plenty in there to digest and take inspiration from, and I recommend that you do. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and hundreds of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn. Again, you'll find links in the show notes. And goodbye for now.